Well, welcome everyone to the 360 Experience. I am your host, Tim Brahim, and today I am excited, as I usually am with most of my guests, but boy, this one's a really special one for me. Um, he's an old friend, an old mentor, somebody who's had an enormous impact on my life, David Allen. David Allen, the author of the many times over New York Times bestselling book, Getting Things Done, The Art of Stress-Free Time Management. He is the author of the GTD Strategy. Uh, you know, back in the day, you know, 20 years ago, Forbes magazine uh, listed his listed David Allen as one of the top five executive coaches in the world. Um, he's had such an enormous impact on so many people's lives, helping them get free from mind clutter, helping them get organized, helping them create a system for efficiently uh, being able to migrate their business and personal life by being organized and really knowing what is uh, of, of priority to get done. And um, today he and I are going to spend a little bit of time catching up, uh, kind of taking a little bit of a stroll through memory lane. Uh, and the two of us, together we'll be sharing with you some wisdom hopefully that'll be really helpful for you as it relates to you being able to take more control of your day manage your time and tasks successfully and uh, please enjoy my conversation with no one other than david allen wow david so nice to see you i uh it's been a long time i, I bet it's been oh gosh probably closing in on 16 17 years since i last saw you and um I guess I want to just start by saying thank you. You know, I, I, I'm sure you get this a lot from people that, you know, maybe you haven't seen in a long time that were pupils of yours and that you coached, but you made, you've made a huge, not only a huge impact on my life, um, because I still practice most of the things that you taught me, but additionally, I, I don't think you probably realize this, but you made a huge impact on a lot of other people's lives indirectly as a result, because as a you know, business and life coach and somebody that's been doing it for 12 years now and um, formally with Lone Toolbox back in the day when I adopted your GTD methodology and then taught it. And, and I also incorporated some Jason Womack stuff in there. A lot of people have been exposed to your your teaching and have benefited from it. So thank you very much. Um, I really appreciate it. You're quite welcome. And I always love to hear those kind of stories. As I say, I I never know really what sticks out there for people. So it's always delightful to hear when it does, <laughs> you know, well, I wanna, and, and the impact. Yeah. Yeah. I want to unpack some of the things that have stuck for me and then also maybe have you uncover some things that I've forgotten about. I suppose that I, after, after 20 years, since you were my coach, it's been 21 years, I think to be exact, I think it was 2001. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that there are some things that I've forgotten, but let's, let's first just start with like where you're at in your life right now. Like I know you were living in SoCal and Ojai, and then you moved to Santa Barbara and then I uh, haven't seen you in years. And, and now you're living in another place. That's pretty cool. Tell us about that. Amsterdam or, you know, about eight, eight plus years ago, Catherine and I moved and, you know, we just actually, Frankly, we wanted to get out of the U.S. Not that we didn't like the U.S., but uh, we were, my work was becoming more virtual and more global. And my wife, Catherine, and uh, I said, we saw people a little more sedentary than us. And we said, you know, while we're still active and healthy, no kids, and, you know, my work is becoming more virtual, how about let's, you know, throw the dart and have another life adventure, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, and it could have been anywhere as long as I was near a good airport. So we thought Stockholm, Copenhagen, London, Kyoto, Kyoto. We, I mean, we're big Japanophiles, but that's just too far away from everywhere. So we said, okay, Europe. 
And so uh, we didn't know how soon we were going to go. Uh, we moved to, to Santa Barbara simply because, you know, we had a God's Little Laker house on the east end of Ojai. And, uh, you know, it was kind of getting to the place where we really needed to renovate the whole thing. But we didn't didn't really, you know, we'd built a little, our own little jewel box office in Ojai. So we didn't really have the funds to do it like we really would want to do it. So we said, well, let's just see. And the market was crap. And we said, yeah, let's just put a price on this thing and see if it have to be an emotional buy because we just invested so much in outdoor fireplace and garden and you know, all kinds of cool, cool stuff. We said, maybe it'll be a year or two. I don't know if somebody gives us a price and then, you know, we'll, we'll figure out something to do. And sure enough, two weeks later, somebody walked on and said, this is exactly what I want, gave us exactly what we asked, <laughs> what we were asking. We said, well, I guess that's a sign. And so we weren't ready to, you know, unhook from the States yet, business-wise or whatever. So we said, uh, and also it was getting too hot. My, you know, Catherine is, her, is of Scottish origin. Her parents were Scott. And so she, it was just getting too hot in Ohio. And she said, and not only that, we had to travel 45 minutes to go get the culture in Santa Barbara, which mm -hmm. so many cool things at US, you know, UCSB that were going on there. So we said, well, come on, let's unhook and get, get, get trainer wheels for Europe by going to Santa Barbara. So we got it. We rented a nice little townhouse. We could walk to town and we actually got Dutch bikes while we were there. And you know, so we, we kind of played, played a little bit, as I said, we got trainer wheels, you know, for, for Europe. And then, you know, we could have gone anywhere that, that again, had a good airport. And it turns out Amsterdam was just the kind of perfect storm or perfect mix of things we wanted. It was enough of a foreign country to be an adventure, but everybody here speaks English. So, you know, so that, that was, that was no issue. And it, it's about as far north as we wanted to be in terms of darkness and winter, you know. And uh, actually, the, the 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 climate here is really lovely. Uh, we really like it. Uh, we like it a lot. So we love the city. We love. We decided, we didn't know how long we were going to stay. We thought, well, maybe we'd be there for a little while and then move around and and see that. But the hoops you have to jump through if you want to get residency somewhere, you know, it's uh, takes a while and there's a lot of stuff to go through if you're going to stay anywhere longer than three months. So we jumped through all those hoops and then not only were we in love with Amsterdam to begin with, because it was such a beautiful city uh, and great culture. We love the Dutch. We love the, the Dutch history. Um, and so we said, okay, let's stick around. So we intend to stay. So we just, we finally, you know, we rented three different places, sort of explored different parts of the city. And we finally said, you know, It'll be a lot cheaper to buy than rent. And so, because, you know, mortgages were down to like 1.2% or something. So, you know, cash was free, you know, in, in a way. So he said, what the heck? We, so we bought a, an apartment that was been a year, you know, essentially creating a four season hotel esque <laughs> apartment. We said, look, you know, this might be the last place we live. I'll be 77 in a, in a couple of months, Catherine 63. We said, it might be the last place, so we don't want to have the oh shit we should have, you know, if we once we did the renovation of it. So we really we imported a sauna from from Canada that we have in the bathroom. We have Toto toilets. We have you know we have total ceramic tile, underfloor heating, you know, all that good stuff. So we've had a, a you know a huge project to to do that. So so we love it. It's, it's, it's great. Well, congratulations. I, there's a lot to unpack even in just what you shared there a little bit about bringing me up to speed on where you're at in your life. I mean, everything from the ability for one to have a virtual business nowadays to also the, you know, the, 
I guess the realization that like, like life is meant to be lived and you don't want to live it with regrets, right? Like, I mean, if you have certain things that you're being pulled towards and I, and, and that's actually quite an interesting additional element to it was that you thought it'd probably take a couple of years to sell the house, but it was almost like, you know, Joseph Campbell's, you know, call to adventure that you guys stepped into. And, and it was like the universe was saying, or God was saying, okay, well, thank you finally for, for heeding the call and let's, let's now meet you there and let's go. So let's, um, I want to give everyone just a a quick little brief history take uh take them down through memory lane as it relates to my relationship with you and then i want to dive into uh, the gtd methodology and uh have you do some teaching in this conversation so i'll never forget i i I tell this story quite frequently about um our time together so the the orientation for everyone listening is that uh, uh david used to coach people privately and what his coaching would look like is he would come to your office for two straight days so my recollection is he was at my office uh, bright and early at about 8 a.m on a on a monday and he was there till six o'clock and then again at 8 a.m on tuesday and there till six o'clock and at the end of that that's the coaching but it's super saturated and deeply profound and impactful and um, one of the things that I recall most vividly was that first day was all about cleaning out the clutter, you know, everything from the file drawers in my office to my inbox and my email to my voicemails to anything most importantly that was in my head. I mean, I remember you giving me like a stack of papers and saying, all right, I'm going to give you some thought prompters and I want you to write down everything you need to do in your life associated with like medical or you know, vacations or whatever. And, and on, on each separate piece of paper, I would, I would write all this stuff down. The next day was about processing that information into a system, which is the GTD methodology. But I remember this elegant moment, man, where you and I, at the end of the second day, you said, uh, let's go ahead a bucket of golf balls. And we went to the driving range real close by and you were in the, on the mat in front of me and I was behind you. And I just started laughing hysterically. And you turned around and you said, what? And I go, I can't think of anything. Like my, my mind, I had never had that experience before of my mind being completely empty of thought. Because everything that I had to do or had in my mind had been taken out of it and processed into the system. And I knew it was there in my dashboard. And it was the most liberating freeing feeling man like a feeling of sovereignty like i i i had never experienced before and um you know from there just started working the system feverishly i mean i may not be the smartest guy in the world but i can implement pretty well so you taught me the you showed me the path and i ran down it and it's it's been hugely impactful so uh, just setting that orientation up now let's let me just ask you to share with everybody like what is in your definition the gtd methodology like if you could give us a, a start there at fifty thousand feet sure uh well it's a set of best practices that i uncovered and recognized over several years about how do you get rid of the distractions in your mind you know i i i came to be very associated and, and loved the idea of clear space in martial arts and meditation practices or whatever that you know when you have if you're distracted by a bunch of stuff it doesn't allow your brain sort of the real estate or the space to think about more creative strategic or inspirational stuff um, so as my life got more complex i started to uncover techniques for myself that would allow me to stay clear 
And I didn't wake up one morning with GTD to getting things done methodology. I mean, that would have been, I guess, nice, but it didn't happen that way. It was piece by piece, it was a string of epiphanets, if you will. You know, about, oh, that one works. Oh, that one works. And so I built my own system. And then in my own consulting practice, as I started my own little consulting business, I started to use those techniques with my clients so that they could get maybe experience what I experienced, which is more clarity, more grounded, more openness in my head to think about more strategic things. And it turned out it, it worked for them too, exactly. So those same techniques of capturing and clarifying what you captured and organizing the results in some external brain that you trust, which you review and engage with regularly so that your mind can then let go and be much more free, as you say, to think about either nothing, <laughs> which is a nice place, you know, or whatever it is you want to think about without having any of that stuff impinging on your head with a little squirrel cage, little, you know, little rabbit running around in your head about all that stuff that's not making any progress on it. All it's doing is, is, is increasing what I now refer to as the ambient anxiety that most people are addicted to. They're willing to be waked up at three o'clock in the morning with, oh, good head, you know, the, or rethinking something. If they may, maybe they sort of have a to-do list, but most to-do lists are incomplete lists of still unclear things. So they're, to, most people's to-do lists created much stress that they were relieved, simply because they're reminding them of decisions they haven't made, you know, uh, and, uh, and thinking they haven't finished about whatever it is they wrote down. So I just discovered what's the process of finishing your thinking about something. And then organizing it appropriately, not that it's finished, but that you are now appropriately engaged with it. Like I doubt, Tim, if you're thinking right now about where you need to be three weeks from Monday at three o'clock in the afternoon. Why? You probably captured that somewhere in a system that you trust that you'll see at the right time. So anybody who manages the calendar and does anything like that is already demonstrating this methodology. Like, oh, it's something I need to be aware of. I don't need to be aware of it right now, I need to be aware of it at a certain time and I need to make sure it's placed somewhere and I have the behavior to look at it at the right time. So it gets a lot more subtle, as you can imagine, you know, very few people have anything like a project list, you know, and a list of all the projects and things that they need to finish. anything that take more than two steps to finish. Very few, and most people, most professionals anyway, have somewhere, somewhere between 30 and 100 of those, given personal as well as professional. And most people don't even have a clue what all that stuff is. So the methodology was about truly externalizing all that. You capture what's got someone's attention, my attention. You then go through a process of thinking, wait a minute, what does that thing mean to me? Is that trash? Is that reference material? Is that, or, oh, that's something I need to move on. Well, what would, what would moving look like? So then determining what's the very next action I would need to take on this. And if one action won't finish it, what's the outcome that I'm committed to complete? about that and so as simple as that sound i spent thousands of hours with executives like yourself you know some of the best and brightest people on the planet actually walking them through that process so you know that was it and then ha then having them customize their own systematic way to keep track of all that stuff in the right places so my methodology doesn't advocate any one particular kind of tool you need some tools you need stuff to be able to park this stuff, but you can write it on your hand. You can use paper-based systems. You could use digital. You know, there are hundreds of digital list manager tools out there now, sort of based on my methodology, even, even. And so that's the simplicity of the of the process. 
You just then need to make sure that it's kept current. See, if your your brain will know whether the system is better than it is. If the system is not better than your brain, your brain cannot let go. Yeah. yeah. It won't trust it. It won't trust the system. It'll feel like it's too much work to write it down because I've still got a bunch of stuff up here, but that's not complete. And what I'm looking at right there, oh, damn, it's just a lot easier to not engage with the process. Yeah, well, a lot of people... I want to, I want to, uh, gosh, there's so many things I want to ask you. So, okay. So first of all, I'm <laughs> super, ex- yeah, super ex- I'm excited to be with you here, David. So I want to summarize that real quick. Cause like, and then I want you to, and then I'm, there's a question embedded in my summary. So the, the, the way most people, as I see it, are going through their day is they're trying to use their brain as an organizing tool for all that they need to do. And maybe they've got a calendar and maybe they've got their notes feature on their on their on their iPhone or whatever. And they'll take a note or maybe they'll shoot themselves an email or maybe they'll leave themselves a voicemail. I mean, there's all these different ways that people try to figure out how they can how they can not forget and not have to try to remember all these important things to do. But that really doesn't work, right? Like, I mean, like, I want you to drill down a little bit deeper, if you could, on the the subject matter of, like, a dashboard and why it's super important to have it organized so the brain can let go. Because I think the brain's always operating off of fear, right? Like, we don't know what we're not remembering, and we know we're not remembering things, and we have that oh shit moment where it's like, oh man, I forgot to do that, and that propagates more fear. So can you speak a little bit more granularly to, like maybe walk us through like an, an example of a system of getting it out of your head into a system, and why that's important? <laughs> well, I got a couple of years. You know. <laughs> No, well, I mean, no, I don't mean to be facetious about it, but if it takes, well, let's, here's an example. Your mom's birthday just showed up in your mind. Oh my God, she's, mom's having a birthday next month or whatever. And so, you know, oh, we should, you know, we should do something about mom's birthday. So there's something on their mind, right? Mom's birthday. Now, some people, if they're already graduated the sort of first level, elementary level of this, will say, oh, let me put mom's birthday on my to-do list. So you go to the to-do list and you write mom. Well, great, you probably had one, but you know, what does that mean? Oh, well, she's got a birthday coming. What are you gonna do about mom's birthday? Oh God, I don't know. So just looking at mom on a list is reminding you their decisions you haven't made and thinking you haven't finished about what to do with this commitment that you've got. So that's the clarify step. So the first thing is capture, so at least write down mom's birthday or mom or whatever. Then step two would be, okay, what do you what's what do you need to do about mom's birthday? You know, oh, you know, I'll call my sister and see what she thinks we should do about mom's birthday. Ah. So now you, have a, now you have a specific next action to take about this thing. You're starting to clarify what was on your mind. Okay, call sister. Now, by the way, calling your sister, is that going to finish this? Oh, no. No, we need to make sure that we celebrate mom's birthday somehow. Ah, so you have a project as well. Right, celebrate mom's birthday. Great. So now we have two things to keep track of. The next step on this thing and the final outcome you know, that we can mark off as done whenever we get there, right? And then then you say, okay, now you've clarified this thing. Now I need to organize step three. 
Where are you going? Are you going to call your sister right now? Nah, I'm busy with some other stuff, but I'll, I'll get to it when I can get to it. Great. But where are you going to park a reminder to call your sister when you have time? Ah, how about it? if you're like me, you'd have a list called calls to make. So when I have time around what's going on my calendar, I just look at my other actions that I need to take as soon as I can do them. And I would see called my sister about mom's birthday. Great. And where are you going to keep track, by the way, of the project itself? The project is to celebrate mom's birthday. How about a list called projects, which is what I have. And I usually coach people to set that up. Okay, celebrate my birthday. So now I have two things that I had to think about and had to decide about. By the way, no software is going to make those decisions for you. Sorry. I don't care how good AI gets. It ain't going to tell you what to do about my birthday. You know, it might give you suggestions. It might tell you what you've done for the last 12 birthdays so that you have ideas. It's decision support, but it's not going to make the decision for you. So once you've then clarified, here's the next step, here's the outcome, then I need to park those somewhere. So now I've got a call parked on my calls list. I have a project on my project list. My calls list, I'm going to see probably daily if I have any discretionary time to see all the calls I need to make and whether calling SIP is, you know, the appropriate thing to do. And my project list, I don't need to see every hour, every day, but at least once a week, I need to come back, as you know, the weekly review. Once a week, you need to sort of bring up the rear guard. Let me go through all the projects. Oh, Miles, how are we doing on that? Have I heard back from my sister yet? Mm, yeah. So those become the, the, the triggers that I need to be reminded of about this stuff. And if I trust, I will see both my calls list at the right time and my project list at the right time. Then my brain goes, ah. Oh, I no longer now need to keep track of it in this crappy office called my mind. And it's a crappy office. As you said, most people are trying to run their life from their head. And it, your brain did not evolve to do that. So sidebar on that, I'll come back to that. But the, the process then, once I have those lists, I look at them at the right time, reflect on them in some conscious way so that I don't ignore those things that are on the list then I'm appropriately engaged. So a lot of GTD is not about working harder. Unfortunately, you know, we use the word productivity, but people have a lot of baggage around that where they think, oh, work longer, work harder, sweat more. And they're like, yeah, you know, productive just means produce whatever you want to produce. If you go to a party to boogie and don't boogie, it was an unproductive party. <laughs> you know, you and your wife, are you going on a vacation? If you go on the vacation to relax and have fun and you don't relax and have fun, that's an unproductive vacation. So productivity, yeah. So in order to be productive, you need outcome and action clarification. You need to then make sure that you've got appropriate reminders of the right stuff at the right time so that, so that you feel appropriately engaged with your life and your work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. and, and, and in a way, it's that simple, but in a way, that's pretty profound. Anybody who actually does that. The, it's so interesting that you bring up the subject matter of mom's birthday. My mom's turning 80 in December. I had this thought <laughs> earlier this summer. I had this thought when I was down in Costa Rica uh, of, wow, my mom's 80th birthday is in December and we need to plan something. Now, to your point, if I just leave it there and it's trying to be remembered in my mind, it's going to create a lot of stress and anxiety for me because I'm surely going to forget and, and, and then have the anxiety and they may greatly underestimate to your point, what the complexity is of that thought, right? Cause there's layers to it. There's steps of things that need to take place. So I'm now using Todoist. I, I went from 
Outlook, you know, tasks, which you introduced me to and customize with me. And then you suggested OmniFocus, which I used for a while. Now I'm using Todoist and I just, but what I do, and I think that, that this is the, in my, my experience, David, of, of, of trying to help people and adopting GTD. It's like, I think the biggest hurdle for people is what you just stated, which is going to it regularly, like, like getting a forming a new habit of, I don't rely on my brain. I rely on this system that I have created and customized for myself. And that new habit is something that I'd like you to speak to in a moment in terms of how you get people into the habit of, of re doing the weekly review of, 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 of asking themselves the question, what is it? Oh, it's my mom's birthday. Okay. Where does it belong? Okay. It belongs in a project, which I go into Todoist and I just type mom's birthday and then maybe a couple of sub projects or sub subtasks, contact a private chef. Cause I wanted to have a private chef for dinner, contact my sister and my niece and my son and make sure that they can attend set the date. Right. So now at least I have some semblance of what I need to do, but if it just sits there and I don't look at it, it's, it's actually a, an exercise in futility, right? So how do you get people to make that transitionary shift into using the system? And do you find that to be challenging? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Come on, I've been doing this for 40 years, Tim. And if I had the silver bullet or this, the, this magic pill that would get people to do that regularly, I'd probably make a lot more money than I'm making. But let me refer you back to the old model of the four stages of building a new habit. First of all, there's unconscious incompetence. I don't know that I don't know what I don't know about what I don't know about, but something's wrong. Okay. <laughs> they talk, right? <laughs> so I don't, I don't know. What, like you mentioned, like people, people have their, they, but they don't know what's up. They don't know what's wrong with this, but it's not working. So there's an unconscious incompetence. You don't know what you don't know. Then there's the next stage, which is your, your conscious incompetence. Oh, okay. Now, now I kind of know what I should do. I, 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 I just, uh, I just not doing it. Right. Stage. Yeah. It, it, let, let me take a silly, stupid example. Catherine said, see David, you know, we've got a brand new French handmade stove in our new apartment and I, I got a little time. I should, I love to cook. So I've learned some new stuff. Hey, David, you should make a risotto. Risotto. Oh my God. I've eaten it, but I have no idea what you what you have to do to make a risotto. You know, so I was unconsciously incompetent. I didn't know what I didn't know about making risotto. It's like what risotto? Me make a I don't got what. Next stage would be okay, David. Here's the recipe. Ah, look at that. Now, if I was going to make a risotto, I have the plan. I have the template about how to make a risotto. Great. I just never done it before, so I'm now I'm now I'm conscious that I'm incompetent about this. Right. I'm conscious of what I'm incompetent about. In other words, okay, here's here's how you do that thing. Uh, I'm just not I'm not good at it. And I mean they've never never even did it before. Right. So then I start making a risotto and it works. Like, oh now I'm at stage three, which is uh conscious competence. Okay, now I know how to make a risotto. I don't even need to look at the recipe again, uh, but I got to uh, I actually I need to remind myself. I need to glance at the recipe now that I'm working. So I'm consciously competent. 
but only with the tools and the help. Stage four, I don't need to think about that. I just go make risotto. And what else are we having dinner night, sweetie? And because it's just on automatic. Now that's unconscious. It's on automatic. I don't have to make myself do a weekly review. I just do them. I don't have to, I don't have to think about, oh, gee, David, you should do the GTD process. Well, I sometimes need to remind myself what I teach. <laughs> gee, David, what's your next step about these two train tickets I just printed out? So I still have to go through the thought process. I don't get out, get rid of that. I still have to do that. I just know what to do. And it's, it's sitting there, it's in my end basket. So I know I'm going to get to it and empty the end basket before the night's over. So anyway, I don't know if that helps it at does. all to define what this thing is, but the, the conscious, the unconscious competence is where these behaviors are on automatic. And that could take you years. Well, hello, friends, and I hope that you're enjoying this episode of the 360 Experience podcast. To listen to the remainder of this episode, please visit us at The Loan Atlas, where you will also find the most comprehensive resource for mortgage professionals to build their practice, backed by the greatest faculty that's ever been assembled in the mortgage industry. Check us out at the link below or go to theloanatlas.com. Look forward to having you as a guest on our next episode of the 360 Experience Podcast.